All right. Well, um, some of you were asking, well, is he going to go on in Revelation? Are we, are we going to the end times and pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, right? All that kind of stuff, all the tribs. Sorry, we're going to save that for later, okay? So you probably knew that we weren't going to go there anyway. You said, oh, he's not going to that. No, uh, we, we are going to, as, as we approach Easter, I don't know if you're aware of that, but Easter is coming. Um, we're in the season of Lent. Now, historically, um, Protestants don't typically practice Lent so much, um, but Lent is a good thing because it reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ, okay? Um, and so I highly encourage you, you know, you may, not, you may not have given up something for Lent. The whole purpose of that is that we may focus more on Christ as the days approach coming to Easter, okay? Um, but as we march towards Easter, we should think about the cross. We should think about the empty tomb. And there should be points of reflection along the way, Amen. All right, and so um, we're going to look at what's called the, the last discourse, Jesus' final words around the table. So we've, we've entitled the series Table Talk because this is when Jesus was around the table with his friends, he was talking to them, and we're, we're going to specifically look at these long conversations and dialogue in John 13. So that's where we're going to turn to today, and we're going to actually take a chapter a week as we approach Easter. So John 13 through 17 will be the series as we approach Easter and get our hearts ready for Easter. We believe that the Lord has something uh, to say to each one of us. So go ahead and turn there to John 13. Some of you may already know what this covers, um, but it is one of the most, I believe, powerful passages, demonstrations of Jesus uh, that we get to see. Uh, And there's so much here, so... Let's just, let's pray as we begin to dive into the word today. God, we are excited to hear from you today. Our hearts, we worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. There is none like you. So I pray that our hearts are in a posture today of humbleness and gratitude, that we come into your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and and enter your courts with praise for you are great and greatly to be praised. We serve one king. We serve the king. And his name is Jesus. So we worship you, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the conqueror, the redeemer, the living water, the bread of life, the sustainer of life, the author and giver of life. So, God, we place our full trust, allegiance, and devotion, and adoration on you and in you today, oh, God. And as we open your written revelation to us, and we look at the final discourses, the final talks that you had with your friends around the table in the final moments of your life here on earth before the cross, Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, that we may learn from you at your table today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 
I have to say my first experience with Nacogdoches, all right? Don't we all have like first-time Nacogdoches stories, all right? Some good, some bad, some ugly, I don't know. Mine was great, by the way. It was good and ugly at the same time. So I served at a church that had a greasy pig chase. I don't know if y'all ever heard of this. Oh, yeah, this was a deal, man. I'm not kidding you. First time I met Daryl Mansell was he was holding this camera, Mark's son. He's holding this camera. He's a senior in high school. Hannah is like this, right? And I remember Pastor Homer saying, now, we're going to have this greasy pig chase. Okay, now, I I grew up in a subdivision with golf courses, okay, just so that you can kind of paint this picture of where I used to live, right? And I hear that we're going to have this youth fundraiser, and it's a greasy pig chase. So what they do is they get that, that, that grease that you use in, like, oil field and water well drilling, really slimy stuff, and they put them on these pigs. And they have this corral, and they just set these pigs off. Of course, you know, they water the corral down, so it's nice and muddy too, right? And here I show up with the whitest sneakers that you can imagine. I got my my nice white sneakers, and, and I got my, 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 my just, you know, some basketball shorts. We didn't have any idea what we were getting into. We had no clue. Jody and I did. We like never been to one of these in our life, but it sounds like fun, right? So here's the brand new worship pastor. Hey, and the pastor and the youth pastor, and we form a team that's going to go in there and chase a greasy pig, okay? Hey, we got him. We got them, but when I walked out, the sneakers were not white. They were black. They were muddy. They were completely, right? It was crazy, dirty. That's why I say good and ugly. My first experience of Nacogdoches, but I fell in love with with Nac, and and we call this our adoptive hometown because we just, we love this place and the people. So you say, Pastor, where are you going with all this, with all this messiness and all that kind of stuff? Well, Believe me, after I got done with the greasy pig chase, the last thing that you wanted to do was to wash my feet. That's probably the last thing you wanted to do. But in today's passage, we see Jesus washing the grime, muck, mire, dust off of the disciples' feet. That is something that a servant would do. In first century uh, time, you would have a servant or literally a slave that would be under the master of the house, and that was their sole task, was to make sure that the guests were taken care of. And so when you entered into a room, um, he would, because, you know, they didn't have like Adidas and Nike and closed-toe boots and all that kind of stuff. There was no ropers and Justin, none of that stuff. It was, you had the open-toed sandals and, you know, the Jesus sandals, everybody knows what those are, right? A little leather strap or something like that. If you had that, if you had that. But so your feet were messy and nasty. Now, this is tough for me because I don't like feet. It's hard. So today's message is a little bit even more difficult because some people just can't stand feet, and that's me, right? So you're not going to find me in the sandals or anything like that, even in summer. Just FYI, that's what you need to know about me. So anyway, not knocking you if you're an open toll and you want to do the sandal thing. Hey, that's fine, okay? But uh, if you ask me to wash your feet, just know it will be an act of humility and mercy on my part towards you, okay? 
But as we enter into this final, this is the feast of the Passover, this is what we call, you know, the Last Supper, and that is the context where Jesus is now going to take the form of a servant. So let's dive in in John 13. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, uh, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but then also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so you are right. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts today, empower us by your spirit. Give us a heart, to un- a mind of understanding, open our ears, remove any barrier that the enemy would seek to throw up that would inhibit our understanding of what you want us to know today about you and what you want us to do. And we totally depend upon you for empowerment today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing I want you to see and know is this opening beautiful statement from the Apostle John, Jesus fully Loved. Jesus loved fully. Jesus loved fully. He makes this statement now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world into the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What you need to know about this statement, he loved them to the end, it doesn't, it's not a chronological statement. It's a qualitative statement. What do I mean by that? It means he loved them fully to the utmost, holy, lacking nothing. Like he didn't reserve any part of his love. He didn't hold back anything on loving his own. Friends, he doesn't hold back anything on loving you. 
There is no part of Christ that holds back and says, well, I'm going to love Travis this much, but I'm going to reserve this much. This makes sense? He loves you to the utmost, and literally that's what that means. He loves to the utmost. This statement for his disciples speaks of the quality of his love. If you first read it, you think, well, yeah, he loved them to the end, and you think of it kind of chronologically, but it's not that. It literally means that he loved them to the utmost with all that he is. He loved his own. So Jesus loved fully. Next, we see that Jesus knew his identity. Jesus knew his identity. And perhaps one of the most powerful, concise verses, maybe in the whole New Testament, certainly in the Gospel of John, and he has many of them, but this one about Jesus' identity. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Isn't that beautiful? So this, let's break it down into three parts because there's three, there's three things here. Jesus knew his purpose, knowing that, all, that the Father had given him all things into his hands. What's his purpose? Jesus' purpose is the cross. Jesus' purpose is to be the sacrificial lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus, in this juxtaposed against this, yet he has all power and authority that has been handed to him. You say, well, that, wait a second. If he's got all power and authority, why is he going to the cross? No, it's because he has all power and authority. He is going to the cross. Because, as Philippians 2 says, that he laid aside the privileges of heaven, that he may take the form of a servant, which is what he's about to physically show us what that looks like. But he knew his purpose and authority, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. He knew his purpose. All authority and dominion has been given to Jesus, and that is key. Do we not see him exercising his authority? Like one of the first things he does in the Gospel of Luke is, in the Gospel of Mark is cast out demons. He exercises his authority. You know, the first person to call him son of God is not a follower. The first person to call him, we know who you are, Jesus, son of the most high, Mark 1 right? It's who? It's a demon that calls out and says, we know who you are. See, the demonic knows who Jesus is. Hope you know that and you're aware of that. They know that Jesus is full of power. They know that he is the son of God. That doesn't mean that they follow him. That doesn't mean that they bow a knee to him, but they do submit in terms of when he exercises his power, they must flee. Everybody with me? And so Jesus knew that all authority and dominion had been given to him. By the way, go back to Eden, Genesis 1, right? 1 and 2. You remember? God created like all, 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 all creation, and he creates man. And what is the task or the purpose that he gives man? To have authority and dominion over the earth, Correct? Do you see the echo of Genesis 1 and 2 in what John is saying? See, continually you're going to see in the gospel of John, he's weaving in Genesis. He's continually weaving in the creation account over and over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Do you see the weaving? This is very important to John in his theme in the gospel. He ties creation to Jesus, to salvation altogether. And so he knew his identity Uh, He knew that his purpose, this is what it's about to know your identity. Would you not agree that to know your identity, you need to know your purpose, but that starts with, what does it say next? That he had come from God. You can write down origin. Jesus knew his origin. He knew where he came from. Do you know where you came from? (laughs) Yes, I came from my mother's womb. Okay, okay, let's get past that, right? Right. And, and Dennis was just talking about how he is now the official keeper of the uh, ancestry of the true lineage. True lineage? There you go. There you go. Okay. Okay. All righty. There we go. Yeah. Anyway, he, the, he's the, the, he, the, yeah, I know. Like, eh, here come the tomatoes. I got it. Um, I should just go back to the greasy pig chase, right? Yeah. He had come from God. So, uh, He's been studying all his origin, right? I mean, some people really get into that and like, hey, you know, great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and uh, Miss Kennedy, who, who just passed, like, she had five generations, and, and Miss Long, she had several generations as well, and so, you know, it's, it's really cool to kind of see where, where, we have, where we have come from. Now, some of us don't want to dig up where we've come from, too, right? All right? It's like the, it's like the old Brooks and Dunn song, outlaws, in-laws, crooks, and straights, right? Okay? You can finish the line. See HUD for the reference for that later. Yeah. And, but the origin, he had come from God. It's important. Do you not know that the basis of our identity, you need to know where you've came from? That's the bedrock. The reason we're doing these core classes is we're laying a foundation so that we know where we came from. We came from God. We know what his character is like, who he is, right, what his names are, what his character is. That's foundational. You, you can't build a house if you don't have the foundation right, guys. And so many times, we want to jump to the end. We want to jump to what we do, what we should do. Hold on a second. Back up. Let's talk about our identity. Let's talk about where we've come from. What's our origin? Our, and he says that he knew he came from God. He had confidence because he knew that he had come from the Father But not only that, did he have an origin? He knew where he had come from. Why? This is one of the most basic questions we all have. But he also had a future. He also knew. You can write that down. He had a future. He was going back to God. He he knew what the plan was. How many of you, when you were 18, you knew what the plan was? You already had it it mapped out already. You you knew exactly what you were going to do. Now we can say, how many did the 18-year-old year, you, did that plan turn out exactly what you thought? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? Or varying degrees, right? Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He knew his purpose. He knew, and hear me, he knew his father. And because he knew his father, he had bedrock identity that was not shaken. He had absolute confidence. He knew what the plan was. He knew the cross was before him. Oh, yes, in his humanness, there was a struggle, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew what the plan was, and guess what? He had the assurance that he was going back to the Father. 
guys, in this John 13, 3 statement, we see significance of what it means to have identity in Christ. We see his example because he knew that he had come from the Father. All authority had been given to him, that he had come from God and was going back to the Father. He knew his identity. How many of you know that when you when you have the Father with you, showing you, and has his presence with you, that it changes your behavior. It changes what comes out. When you have, and you have the confidence of knowing the Father, it changes what happens and what you do. See, so many times, um, you ever heard of OBE, outcome-based education? Okay, it, it kind of was a thing back in the day, but Anyway, you say, what day? Well, where the focus was on the outcomes instead of the foundation. You have to focus on the foundation, on the identity. It can't be about behavior modification. You have to lay the foundation of a child's identity and who they are. Which, by the way, why do you think that the culture wants to speak so much into the child? The culture wants to speak so much and shake the child because they want to shape the child. Jesus says, don't you know who you are in me? That's why I point you over and over to Ephesians 1, that you are extraordinarily redeemed. You've been adopted into and given sonship, and you've been welcomed into the family of God because of the extraordinary redemption purchased at the cross. Isn't that beautiful? So you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about who am I. You have been chosen by the Father through the Son. Jesus knew his identity. Now, I want you, why, why are you focusing so much on this, Pastor? Because it informs what's next. If you don't understand that John 13, 3, which is the, the, the before, that's the explanation of what Jesus is about to do. Because if you don't get... If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand what he's about to do. Look at the very next verse. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You can write this down. Jesus' identity determined his actions. His identity determined what he did. His identity determined his actions. See, John ties this together, and so beautifully he says, because he knew that the Father had given him all power and authority, because he knew he was from God and he was going back to God, he knew his purpose, his origin, his future, he could rise up after supper, and he could take off his outer garment. And he could assume the position of a servant. He could get the towel. And he could get down on his knees. And he could start to do what none of the disciples did, by the way. Not one of them at any point said, Master, we don't have anybody to wash our feet. Should we do this? He begins to do what they didn't do. And he's able to do this because he knows his identity. 
he poured the water into basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Because he knew this, he could humble himself and take the form of a servant. Philippians 2, 6, and 7. I said it a while ago. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Because he knew his identity, he was able to do this humble act. So he humbled himself, and he did what really someone else should have done. But Jesus is showing us who he is here, isn't he not? He's showing us who he really is. See, this is what I love about Jesus. What I love about it is he's the exact opposite of what the world thinks a leader should be. A wor- the world says a leader should accumulate power and people under him or her and build a great organization with many people and that they should make sure that, you know, uh, the, 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 the numbers are right. And so that when you get up and someone introduces you, they have this book, long paragraph that they can say, well, they've been doing this for 50 years and uh, he's led all these people to the Lord and he's done this and that and this and that. Guys, I don't even know how that lines up with John 13. I'll just be straight up. Y'all ever read like endorsements on books? You know what I'm talking about? The whole job of a forward of the book or somebody to write an endorsement is to prop up the author. Jesus doesn't need propping up. Jesus' actions speak for themselves. In fact, everything that you and I look at when it comes to the world that says there's value, there's worth, there's power here, Jesus flips that on his head and he goes and he takes the most humblest form that you can take. You know what he's saying here? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about being a servant of all. In fact, do you know what happened just right before this? James and John are coming and saying, we want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Oh, hey, because what do they think? They think that Jesus is about to draw swords, and he's about to violently take over Rome, right? And so they want to be VP and treasurer and secretary and make sure they are in the presidential cabinet, right? That's what they they are. They're, They're getting in there. They're getting ready to go. And Jesus said, well, I don't think you're able to drink the cup of baptism. You're not about to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to walk through. So maybe we should talk later. Yeah. And then this happens. Then he becomes, takes the form of a servant, starts grimy, nasty, dirty, sandy feet. You say, that's my Lord? Yes, that's that's our Lord. That's what he does. He does not account quality with God, a thing to be grasped, the Apostle Paul says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the very definition of being a servant. If you want to be great, he says, then you must be a servant of all. Does that mean that you will have to get uncomfortable? Yes. Does that mean that it will have to be, that it will be messy? Yes. 
Does that mean you may not have as much free time as you'd like to have? Yes. Does that mean you may can't golf every weekend? Yes. And we can go down the list. Jesus says again, it is not about you. Then we see humility demonstrated. You want the definition of humility, you look at what he just did in washing the disciples' feet. So he does this, and there's this little interaction with him and Peter. Now, we always know that Peter likes to say stuff, right? I mean, Peter's the guy that you can always count on him to say something, right? Okay? And so he starts to wash, and Peter's like, whoa, you can't do this? No, Lord, no, Uh uh-uh. This would be me. We need to switch positions, right? Uh, no, no. And, and, and <laughs> of course, I love that. That's interesting. Peter didn't bother to wash the feet at the beginning, but now he wants to tell Jesus what to do. A little interesting there. But, so he proceeds to tell Jesus what to do. And, and, and Jesus says, hold on a second. If, if, I don't, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Well, then Peter goes the other way. Well, then let's have it all. Then bathe all of me, not just my feet. He says, no, you... You're already bathed. Basically what he's saying is, if you believe that I am who I say I am and I will do what I said I will do, then you already have been chosen. You already have been accepted. But there's one here who does not believe. He's talking about Judas. There's one here who who I see his heart. And even though the outside, he may be performing the action, he's in the group, the real motive of his heart is not to follow me and to love me. So he's the one that has not been bathed. But this washing of the feet, many commentators think that that is a signal of confession, right? Of, of being right with the Lord. Yes, you believe, but right, that the, 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 the continual washing of the feet would be a, of, of confession, of making sure that you have a repentant heart before the Lord. Does that make sense? And so that's what that interesting dialogue just is right there with Peter and, and Jesus. So then he finishes that. He gets up, and it says that he resumes his place at the table, and then he makes this incredible statement. He says, do you see what I have done for you? Now, he's not just talking about, do you see? Well, obviously, yeah. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I've done for you today? If I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also should do just as I have done. This is the final act that he demonstrates to his friends before his trial and before the cross. He says, just as I have done, you also should do. Truly, truly, I say, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Woe to us if we ever think that we are greater than Jesus. And you say, well, I would never stand up and say I'm greater than Jesus. Yeah, but do your actions say that you're greater than Jesus? Does your refusal to humble yourself, to serve your fellow man, say that you're greater than Jesus? I'll raise my hand. Yeah, absolutely. There are times I don't want to humble myself. 
There are times I don't want to serve. There are times I want to be served. And if we're all honest with ourselves, we would say that. But Jesus says, you want to truly show what humility is? You want to truly show what it's like to be in the kingdom? You want to get it? Then you need to do what I have done. You need to take the form of a servant. You need to humble themselves. It's not about your title. It's not about your education. It's not about your 401K. It's not about your bank account. It's not about any of that stuff. What it's about is how are you serving me and extending my kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? That is is the mission that I have given you. And church, we have to be so careful of this because this can creep into every form of our life and it can creep into our church where you think, well, we we have to offer this, 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 and this. No, no, what we offer is Jesus and his kingdom. What we say is, is the greatest among you must be a servant of all. What it is, is is that we must be a serving church. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Do you understand what I've done for you, Jesus says? Do you understand in this final act before the cross that I have demonstrated what my kingdom is to be like? See, it's not about programs. It is about humility demonstrated. It is about our Lord and our teacher humbling himself and taking the form of a servant and saying, you should do just as I have done. So my question is, whose feet have you washed lately? Oh, maybe not literally. I mean, if the Holy Spirit tells you to do that, do that, of course, right? But who, who, who have you served? Who have you taken that form of a servant towards? You know what I love about preaching verse by verse in the Bible? It's, it just put, there's nothing we can skip over. It just puts us right there where Jesus is at. And I love examining this scripture today because it reminded me of how I am to be a servant. So what about you? Maybe you say that I don't, I don't know that kind of humility. I don't demonstrate that kind of humility. But maybe because that you don't know your identity in Christ. That may be the reason why. Maybe you don't understand that what the Father has done for you through the Son. And not only that, look at the final verse of our passage today. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Well, who's the one Jesus is sending? You can answer that. Who's the one Jesus is sending? The Holy Spirit. Acts 2, Pentecost. Whoever receives the Holy Spirit receives me. Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit as you have received me. And when you've received me, you've received the Father. Beautiful picture of the Trinity there, amen? And Jesus is bringing it all together. That you may believe that I am he.
verse 19, that you may believe that I am he. Ego ami. That's the Greek word. You say, what'd you say? Ego ami, I am he. That is the Greek there in verse 19. Jesus is saying that you may believe, I'm telling you these things, that you may believe that I am he. Ego ami. Ego ami goes back. That's the Greek in the Septuagint, which is the Greek first five books of the Bible, okay, that was translated into Greek. Do you know the exact wording that is given right there in Exodus 3.3 at the burning bush when God reveals himself to Moses? Do you know what words are used? Ego ami. I will be who I will be. Jesus is saying in this declaration, in his final act of servanthood and showing, he's saying, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh come to you in the flesh. Ego ami. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Yahweh, the personal God who comes to you and takes the form of a servant and shows you compassion and favor. That is the God we serve. Amen? Let's pray.